This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. The governor heads to Hard Rock Stadium to talk about testing for coronavirus, show off the state's new mobile laboratory, and do a bit of China bashing. Phase one of Florida's reopening may have started Monday, but stay-at-home orders are still in effect for three South Florida counties hit hard by the virus. Miami-Dade's mayor says they're almost ready to reopen. In the midst of a pandemic, the U.S. Supreme Court gears up for the GOP lawsuit against the Affordable Care Act. Millions of Floridians could lose their health care coverage if they haven't already because of furloughs and layoffs. And Florida Democrats say it's a disgrace that our own attorney general is part of that lawsuit. The legal arguments are done. Now it's up to a federal judge in Tallahassee to decide the fate of Florida's law allowing former felons to have their voting rights restored. The law was challenged by the ACLU and the NAACP. They say it's nothing more than a pay-to-play scheme designed by GOP lawmakers to suppress the vote. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man who is making his second appearance on the podcast this week. Would you believe a Florida sheriff at a swingers club? There are pictures. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, May 7th. First, the numbers. There have now been 38,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Florida, including 1,539 fatalities. Nationwide, we've recorded almost 72,000 deaths. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been a frequent critic of the Chinese government during the pandemic. He has accused them of concealing the danger until it was too late to stop it from spreading. And now he's accusing them of using that time to snap up all the supplies of personal protective equipment, better known as PPE. This PPE was a major crunch, particularly in March. China had known what was going on. They specifically bought up a lot of this stuff. Uh, really to try to screw over the rest of the world, which they're going to need to pay for doing that. We don't know what's going to happen with the supply chain. I hope it ends up being better. We need to get a lot of this stuff back to being made in America. We should not be relying on China uh, for all these important medical supplies, and that includes prescription drugs. I've spoken to some folks um, involved with things like pharmaceuticals and told them, come to Florida you know, we have a good business environment. We would love to be able to manufacture that stuff here. That's much safer for the American people and really is a national security issue. DeSantis was more upbeat when he turned his attention back to Florida. The state has tested almost half a million people for COVID-19, but the governor says there's a problem with the diagnostic tests. The problem is, is that you may be negative today and you could potentially catch it uh, three days from now. So a diagnostic test is a snapshot in time. What we're adding to this is serological testing. So we now have the ability to test for antibodies, uh, basically people that have had the disease, their body will generate antibodies to fight it, and we can then test to see whether you have the antibodies. The good thing about it is once the antibodies develop, if you test positive for the antibodies, it's not like you're gonna lose the antibodies the next day. So this is very important, particularly for our first responders and our healthcare workers, uh, to know who has the antibodies. Uh, we do uh, believe, I think most people believe, that it will confer a certain level of immunity. Uh, they're disagreeing about maybe how long, but I think that that's probably the safest assumption. So the FDA-approved test that Florida has acquired, we have 200,000 and we have more on the way. But what it will do is it will tell people whether they've developed the antibodies within a 15-minute time frame. You saw them uh, doing the, the blood draw. They take blood. There's a little strip that they put the blood in. They put some uh, reagent in there. And then you watch to see the results. And within 10 or 15 minutes, 
you get the result either positive for the antibodies or negative for the antibodies. The first folks who are going to come through here are going to be the healthcare workers and the first responders just because they're the most likely to have been exposed. Uh, but I think the strategy would be you know, to expand that once we do uh, these folks. We've also reached out to all the hospital systems and offered tests for them. So I know some of them have asked uh, for it. Some of them are interested in doing it and they'll be able to do it to their workers uh, at their hospitals without even them having to come here. Uh, this is also important for healthcare workers working at uh, long-term care facilities. Uh, very important to know who has antibodies and who doesn't. The governor also got to show off the state's newest recreational vehicle. It's equipped with the COVID-19 accessory package. We're also excited to be able to debut the first ever mobile testing lab uh, in the state of Florida. This may be the first of its kind for COVID doing the way that we're doing it, but these are going to be mobile lab with rapid testing capability. So you'll be able to take a sample, bring it to the lab, and then within 45 minutes, it's just putting a cartridge in a machine, and then within 45 minutes, uh, you're going to get the result, the diagnostic result. So that is not antibody. That is whether you're positive for the coronavirus or not. Uh, but obviously that that's something that's very, very important. So the lab is going to be run by Stat Lab. They're going to have three shifts with three to four lab technicians working during each shift. So this is going to be round the clock. We're going to be processing 500 tests a day just on the mobile testing site and 3,500 a week. We've got the cartridges ordered. They're going to keep sending them to us from Cepheid. And so we really believe that this will be a game changer. We have the National Guard doing a lot of testing in the long-term care facilities. Uh, that's very important. Uh, they've been able to identify some clusters and, uh, and keep it from spreading. Uh, but it takes 24, 48 hours at least to get those results when you're sending it to a private lab. Now with this, you're going to be able to go to long-term care facilities get results back almost immediately, and then be able to, if there is a case, isolate the, the worker, isolate the resident appropriately. Uh, and that, I think, is going to be really, really positive for what we're doing. Uh, you're going to have 10 me members of the Florida National Guard working on the mobile, working with the mobile lab, 10 contracted nurses. They're going to be taking samples. They're going to be handling the logistics. Uh, our strategy with this is assisted living facilities, long-term care facilities. We're starting right here in Miami-Dade County. That'll, those will be the first facilities uh, that have had the rapid test. The Guard has visited a number of these facilities already and done the traditional lab-based testing, but we think that this is good. State Emergency Management Director Jared Moskowitz says that mobile lab is one of the ways they've tried to think outside the box during the pandemic. You know, this lab behind us, the whole idea is we're going to continue to look at uh, new products, new innovations, uh, different ways to test. And so the idea that this can go from site to site, we can send this uh, in on an emergency basis if we had to put it on the road to do emergency testing at a long-term care facility or some other hotspot uh, that uh, that came up. Uh, that's the whole point of this, is that it's completely, uh, completely mobile. Uh, we're bringing the lab uh, to the situation. Uh, you know, we're going to continue to look at other uh, ways to test. You know, can we can we go buy home testing and put that out in different facilities uh, so long as the home testing is, is up to the same sort of standards? And so we're examining uh, all sorts of different ways to try to make this easier to bring the test 
uh, to the patient and decrease, obviously, response times uh, with the 45-minute with the uh, rapid test. Moskowitz and the governor were speaking at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Springs, which is still under a stay-at-home order that covers Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. But Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez says they are working to get back in business. We have less than 100 people than our respirators today in Miami-Dade County. That's the first time we've seen that in quite some time. We have thousands of beds that are open. We have hundreds of ICU beds. We have close to 1,000 respirators actually available here in uh, Miami-Dade County. So the trend is good. And so we will, uh, we're formulating plans on how we can open up the economy here in Miami-Dade. And that, of course, that'll be uh, given to the governor so we get his blessing. Uh, before we make any announcements uh, along with uh, with the governor, how we can start to open up the economy here in, uh, in Miami-Dade. We need to start opening up uh, this area of the state as the governor has started to open up other areas of the state of Florida, and we need to get back to a new normal. The new normal won't be the old normal. It'll be a new normal, but we're heading in that direction. Miami-Dade's been hit harder than any county in the state. The latest report from the health department shows more than 13,000 cases of COVID-19 in the county, 432 deaths. As America battles the coronavirus and millions of people have lost their health insurance after being laid off during the pandemic, Donald Trump and his GOP allies are still trying to kill Obamacare. Backers of the Affordable Care Act submitted their briefs at the U.S. Supreme Court Wednesday, hoping to fend off a legal challenge in a case known as California versus Texas. Terry Rizzo chairs the Florida Democratic Party, and she's not happy that Florida is one of the states trying to kill the Affordable Care Act. Donald Trump cannot be trusted with our health care. One of the first things he did, as we know, when he came into office, was push Congress to repeal the ACA. And when that failed uh, to pass the Senate, Republicans then went to court to dismantle the ACA altogether. Well, Donald Trump is directly threatening more than three and a half million Floridians right here in Florida with pre-existing conditions and many more millions around the country with pre-existing conditions that could be denied health coverage, could have been denied health coverage before the ACA instituted protections for them. We all remember those days. Trump's continued attacks against the ACA are particularly cruel and senseless during this pandemic. We've all seen the disproportionately deadly impact that the coronavirus 19 is having on people with pre-existing conditions. To be clear, if the Supreme Court sides with Trump and the Republicans and strikes down the ACA, Trump has absolutely no plan for the tens of millions of Americans with pre-existing conditions that would no longer be protected. And after promising that he would make sure people with pre-existing conditions are covered if the ACA is abolished, he's failed to address those needs. He has no plan to ensure that Americans get coverage for what the ACA deems essential benefits. That includes hospitalization, substance abuse treatment, maternity care, prescription drugs, pediatric care, and on and on for things that are essential. Last year, Florida had the highest rate of ACA enrollment of any state in the country. In case you may not know, there are 1.9 million Floridians who get their health coverage on the ACA exchange. And the Urban Institute estimated that the number of people uninsured in our state would increase by a whopping 67% without the ACA. Instead of pushing to repeal the ACA in the course, what Donald Trump ought to be doing is immediately reopening the marketplace enrollment so thousands of Floridians who lost their employer-sponsored health care could gain coverage. If that lawsuit is successful, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Broward County says millions of Floridians will lose their health care coverage and millions more with pre-existing conditions may find it impossible to get insurance anymore. She's dismayed that Florida's Attorney General is trying to make that happen. 
There are lawyers in the Trump White House and our own Attorney General, Ashley Moody, who are plotting to legally destroy the Affordable Care Act. It is disgusting, really. In Florida, sabotaging the ACA would kick 2 million residents off their insurance and jeopardize their coverage, jeopardize the coverage of millions more like me who have pre-existing conditions. Uh, that is what Donald Trump and Ashley Moody are doing. And the reason that we're here this morning is to make sure that everyone knows the ugly reality of what the Trump administration is and Ashley Moody, our attorney general, is trying to accomplish. The whole notion that we're even having this fight is macabre and sinister, really. But I can't let it pass that we're still having this fight during a global health pandemic. Let that sink in. With more than 70,000 people dead from the coronavirus pandemic that it may take years to conquer, we should do all we can to expand the world of people with coverage, not contract it. Oh, and by the way, you know, add to that, add on top of it all, that the Trump administration is going to begin to wind down the coronavirus White House healthcare task force and start to proceed like we're back to normal when we are the furthest thing from normal when it comes to people's health. And despite the new reality of the, the jeopardy that people's health, health is in, this administration is still twisting its mustache, trying to take this health care away. Another rich irony in all of this is that the people with the most to lose in, gutting, uh, in the gutting of the ACA are people with pre-existing conditions. And that's the very same population that is vulnerable to the coronavirus. Worse still, the folks who most need these health coverage protections have never needed it more than they do now. Since mid-March, a million Floridians have filed unemployment claims. And because Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis have turned the state's jobless benefit system into a blazing dumpster fire, hundreds of thousands of them are still waiting for their full assistance to arrive. And yet now amid this mass financial insecurity, Trump and Moody still want to destroy the Affordable Care Act. And while the virus ravages our state and our country, Donald Trump and Ashley Moody are busy stuffing out our healthcare coverage. Just let that sink in for a moment. It's like a horror movie, only this is real. It's a grotesque moral statement that they are each making, one that history will never forgive. And while the cruelty here rivals that, that anything Hollywood could dream up, let's be clear, this is outrageously bad policy on its face. You do not dismantle your nation's health and healthcare protections amid a global pandemic, unless you wanna increase deaths further overwhelm your health systems, and financially kneecap millions of hardworking families. It might be a different story if the president and his allies had offered some sort of viable alternative to Obamacare, but the only recent suggestions have been bleach and ultraviolet light. Next on Sunrise, the conclusion of a federal court case in Tallahassee that could have a huge impact on future elections in Florida. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information.
Welcome back to Sunrise. After seven days of legal arguments, it's all up to U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle, who spent that past week presiding over a lawsuit centering on the voting rights of former felons. Florida voters approved an amendment, number four, in 2018 to restore the rights of former felons who have served their sentences. But last year, the legislature added language saying they also had to pay all their outstanding legal debts before regaining their rights. And if you can't pay, you don't get to vote. Leah Alden with the NAACP Legal Fund says the Republican-controlled legislature was motivated by race, gender, and partisanship when it passed the bill. Using race as a proxy for party may be an effective way to win an election, but intentionally targeting a particular race's access to the franchise because its members vote for a particular party in a predictable manner constitutes discriminatory purpose. This is so even absent any evidence of race-based hatred and despite the obvious political dynamics. A state legislature acting on such a motivation engages in intentional racial discrimination under the U.S. Constitution. Here, the trial evidence shows precisely such an impermissible motive. The Florida legislature did not simply target demographic voters with an incidental disparate impact on black voters. It was motivated by a discriminatory intent to limit black voters' access to the franchise. Defendants have offered no evidence that the motivation was a partisan advantage, free from any racial consideration. In fact, the evidence supports the opposite. Defendants' own expert, Dr. Barber, essentially acknowledged that while legislatures may have passed the bill in part to accomplish partisan goals, they did so because of their, quote, faulty assumptions, in quote, their perceptions about race. In other words, Florida legislators perceived that by hurting Black Floridians, they could help Republicans. The Florida legislature did not just target returning citizens generally, who as a group are disproportionately Black, but majority white in terms of their raw numbers. It was more precise here. The trial evidence demonstrates that the Florida legislature crafted an LFO requirement that it knew it would disproportionately harm black voters, returning citizens, and ignored requests to lessen the impact. Julie Ebenstein with the ACLU says the whole idea of having to pay to get the right to vote is what makes the law unconstitutional. Access to the franchise cannot depend on affluence. The evidence from trial shows that Florida heaps insurmountable debt on returning citizens when it knows that the overwhelming majority of them will be unable to pay. Again, as your honor knows, there's been no guidance from the Secretary of State and individual clients seeking to vote in the presidential preference primary have been unable to get a final word from anyone in the state on whether they're eligible. People are afraid to register, they are afraid to be prosecuted, and I can't blame them. There's no state interest in denying those who are eligible to vote the ability to exercise that right. We ask the court to find that Florida's system of requiring returning citizens to pay for their right to vote violates the U.S. Constitution. Even Judge Hinkle expressed doubts about the idea of paying to vote. Here's the thing. When somebody imposes a requirement to pay money, they intend to impose a requirement to pay money. I don't know how one could require payment of money and and not intend that people who can't pay the money are going to be excluded. I mean, that's the whole intent. If you don't pay the money, you're excluded. So, I mean, I don't suggest it's not a requirement of intent. It's just that by its nature, the intent problem is satisfied because the legislature plainly intended that you had to pay the money to be able to vote 
And if you didn't pay the money, you couldn't vote. At the end of the hearing, Judge Hinkle telegraphed his decision by saying he intends to lay out a process for the state to allow voting by felons who cannot afford to pay court-ordered legal financial obligations because state elections officials ignored his order to develop a procedure on their own. Your calendar of events begins with the Florida Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy and Mental Health Counseling. They're holding a conference call at 8. The Judicial Nominating Commission for the 19th Circuit will conduct online interviews for candidates to fill a vacancy created by the retirement of a circuit judge. They start at 9. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. The Visit Florida Executive Committee is holding a conference call at 1 as the state works to emerge from the coronavirus pandemic, which has basically shut down the entire tourism industry. The University of South Florida Board of Trustees will meet by conference call at 1. And the Florida Department of Transportation is holding an open house about the Southwest Central Florida Connector. That's at 530 in Arcadia. Finally, it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Man, who is discovering the hard way what opposition research is all about. Earlier this week, we told you about Florida Man and Broward County Sheriff Gregory Tony, who was forced to admit he shot and killed a man in Philadelphia when he was just 14. Well, you'll never guess who's back in the news. Britain's Daily Mail newspaper has just published a series of racy photos of the sheriff and his wife taken in 2015 and 2016 at Liquid Bliss swinger parties held at a secret location in Miami. They're both topless, but she's wearing blue pasties, and in one of the shots, she's using her hubby's hands as a bra. Tony is currently in a high-profile race for sheriff and accuses his opponent, former Sheriff Scott Israel, of being responsible for leaking the photos. But that may be the least of his problems. The Florida Bulldog reports the governor's office and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement are trying to figure out if the sheriff lied four months ago when he signed an affidavit declaring under oath that he had never had a criminal record sealed or expunged. Think about that fatal shooting in Philly for just a second. If he did lie, Tony could become the second Broward County Sheriff in a row to be removed from office by the governor. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.